For the past month, we've been going through a, a sermon series called A Picture of God, where we have been looking at the, the life, the earthly life and ministry and events of Jesus, because we believe that if we, if we want to know what God looks like, we want to know what the Father looks like, we simply need to look to Jesus. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we're trying to take a look at Jesus to see what the Father looks like. Well, the picture of God that I want to help us see this morning is, is of a God that wants to offer us rest. The ability to, to let down our guard, the, 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 the ability to, to slow down, to take a break, and to enjoy God and enjoy his good gifts to us, particularly the, the fact that we can settle. So if, if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Luke 6. I'm going to be reading from there. If you don't have a copy, there's some back there on the table. You're welcome to grab those and keep those if you want. Um, my guess is that if I were to ask you how you were doing, because I ask people this regularly, I, I've heard the answer many times. If I were to say, how are you doing? You would probably say something along the lines of good. If you have good English, you would say, well, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm tired. We're busy. We're doing lots of running around. I'm exhausted. Like this is a common response, particularly in the West and in the United States. And, and today what I want to look at is a picture of our God who offers us rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And I want to look at the, the God who offers this, and, and not just a day of rest that we theologically call Sabbath, but a lifestyle of rest, an inner belief that we can have that leads us to understand rest. I had a friend who was part of um, a white elephant gift exchange. Does everybody know what those are? People call them different things, sneaky Santa and stuff, where you, everybody brings a bunch of random gifts, puts them under a tree. And, and they get numbers, and you have to take numbers, and you draw a present, and whether if you want it, you try to keep it. Otherwise, when somebody else draws a number, they can take your present if they want it, and it goes round and round. It's typically pretty ridiculous, and people put in gag gifts and things like this. And so my friend was involved in one of these white elephants. His name was Ryan, and uh, when he brought his gift in, he brought this wallet that his mom had given him as a real gift the year before. He didn't want this wallet. It was ugly to him. He thought it was ridiculous. He didn't need the wallet. So he put it in a gift bag and he put it under the tree with all the rest of the ridiculous gifts. And eventually somebody drew, you know, their number came up and he went and this guy went and drew Ryan's present of the wallet. And he opens it and he's like, oh, great. It's a wallet. Does anybody want this wallet? Because I don't want it. Somebody steal it from me so I can trade another one. So a couple minutes go by and and, uh, this guy, Scott, has the wallet. And there starts to be a kind of a general commotion in the area of where the wallet is. Scott had opened the wallet and found that there was a $50 bill inside. But no one knew this. So now he's got a good, a, a, an old junky wallet, but with $50 inside. But other people see it, and there starts to be this commotion to try to steal the wallet from Scott. And Ryan is like losing his mind because he didn't know it was in there. He didn't put it in there to be nice, like his mom had given him $50, but he had just tossed the wallet aside. He didn't know that the gift was in there. And so that, you know, obviously Scott's a nice guy, gave him the money back, but it just became this big joke. But the whole point being that, that he had just tossed aside the wallet because he didn't really know about it, he didn't really care to look in it, he didn't know that there was a gift, a truer gift inside of the wallet. And I would say that, that wallet is sort of like the gift of Sabbath to us as Christ followers, that, that our Father offers us a gift of, of rest that we often toss aside, that we ignore it, 
that we have some weird misconception about what it's meant to be. And we don't actually open up the gift of Sabbath to see what is in there, the true gift and the true value of what's in there. So I want to look at a text with you from Luke 6. Uh, and oh, I lost my place. Luckily, I know where Luke is. Uh, in Luke 6, Jesus, this is early in Jesus' ministry, uh, and he's, he's doing work, and this happens in a couple of the gospel accounts. We see that Jesus is doing things on the Sabbath that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are uptight about. So look, with me, uh, look at me at Luke 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. That's a tasty snack, right? Raw, like raw wheat. I don't know whatever they're eating. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He's talking about King David here. Uh, He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what was lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. I think it's in Matthew, it says, they discussed how they might kill Jesus. They're so furious with him about restoring this man on the Sabbath. So, To understand what's going on here, we need to look back to where the Sabbath sort of originated and how it is that rubbing grains together became like so offensive to the Pharisees and so why it's so inflammatory in first century Palestine. So if you go all the way back to the creation account in Genesis, we see that that God takes six days to to create things. He's creating sun and moon and stars and, and he's separating light and darkness and he's putting animals into the sea and animals on the earth and he's plants and seed bearing plants and fruit. And all these things are coming about and eventually he creates humanity and then he takes the seventh day, it says, to rest. The word there is, is to cease, to cease working. And he rests. Now, why did God do that? Like, was he tired? Come on. Like, if he creates everything, like, he's not exhausted. He hasn't exhausted his energy. There's something else going on here, right? God is, is taking time to cease working, to enjoy what he had created. If you remember, he says, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Ah, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to look upon this and enjoy new creation. So the idea of resting or ceasing working is directly connected, I would say, to enjoying new creation, to seeing what's been made, to see this new thing, and to enjoy it. And so when you fast forward through the centuries with the people of God, we see that the patriarchs of Israel routinely are called to trust God to provide for them, to work on their behalf, and yet when they struggle, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, they go where? Egypt. 
When they're struggling, they go down to Egypt and say, I'll work for myself. I will find food. I will make myself secure here in Egypt. And God eventually says, listen, if you don't trust me and you, you like Egypt so much, so much, why don't you live there? Why don't you stay there? You want to go find your provision there and you want to work there? Fine. You can stay there. And for 400 years, they find themselves enslaved to the Egyptians. The Egyptians saw they were getting too powerful and said, fine, we will put them and, and make them slaves. And so every day, what were the Israelites doing? Making bricks. Every day, trudging along through life, making bricks to make someone else rich, to make someone else famous. Seven days a week, no break, no rest, just working and working and working. Maybe your job feels like that kind of drudgery. I've had those jobs, the brick-making type jobs. So eventually, the people are crying out to God. God sends Moses to free them. We see that the exodus happens, and God sends them on their way through the desert, and they come to Mount Sinai, where God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. I'm going to re-up the ante here with you, and I'm going to make a covenant that I'll be your God, and you will be my people. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. And if you read through the Ten Commandments, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. You just only worship God. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't lie. Like, right, these are all like kind of short things. When you get to the one where he tells, tells them to take a day for Sabbath, to take a day for rest, to set it aside, it's long. Like, there's an explanation there of what it's supposed to look like for them. And God takes time to tell them what it means to set apart this day. But what's behind this is God is telling the people of Israel, you are my children. And I am your father, and I want to give you this gift of rest. Now, imagine you've come through generations and generations of working seven days a week of making bricks. And you've heard these stories, and you have escaped out of Egypt, and you're looking forward to, to not being a slave anymore. And God says, no more brick making seven days a week. As my children, I want to give you rest on the seventh day. You can sit down and not work as slaves anymore, but you are my children. You can rest on one day a week. So the people start to, start to take this day off, and, and, and they have a Sabbath that's set apart. But as time goes on, we see and we read all throughout the Old Testament that the people of God take these laws of the covenant and start following them in action, but not trusting God in their heart again. And this goes on and on, and they start making more and more laws, but their hearts are getting further and further away from truly worshiping and loving God, till eventually God allows them again to fall into exile. And the Babylonians and the Assyrians come, and Israel's carried into exile, where again, Sabbath is probably broken, and the people are forced to do things they don't want to do, and work harder than they need to work. And they're looking forward to, to God coming Back. They're waiting for God to come and rescue them from this Sabbathless exile again. So by the time we get to Jesus' day, when Jesus is on earth, the religious leaders had decided, okay, we're in exile because we weren't obeying the laws well enough, and they start adding law on top of law and saying, we need to obey more. We need to obey God. We just need to obey him so much that he can't help but bless us with returning the kingdom to us. So they start adding law on top of law. So the Ten Commandments become more and more. There's like 600 and something laws that, or, or variations of the law that they come up with, one of which was you can't harvest. Like you can't go and harvest. So when Jesus is walking through the fields and they're picking these grains, they're like, that's harvesting. That's harvesting. You can't do that. You clearly can't be a man of God because you're not allowed to harvest on the Sabbath. You keep doing things like that. God's not going to give us the kingdom back. This is why they were so furious with Jesus. 
So, so lest you think that this is just an, an old Bible times thing, if you are a strict Jewish person today, there are six different groups with 39 subgroups of laws. And I was reading about some of them. I, I'm just going to tell you about one that I thought was very funny, was you can't make fire. You're not allowed to make fire, which now has been interpreted to mean you can't make, you can't use, uh, you can't make an electrical connection. So where something isn't operating, that you can't provide electric to it because that's sort of like making a small fire. So this means you can't switch on a light switch, but you can use a timer if it's been set the day before. That's okay. But you can't open the refrigerator door because a light will come on inside. So if you want to open the fridge on Sabbath, the day before you have to unplug the light so that you can open the door. Like you can see the strictness of the thinking here. And they're doing this from a good place, hoping that by obeying, God will bring the Messiah. That God will save them. So, like, this is not just an old Bible times thing. Like, this is still real to many Jewish people today. Just go Google it today. Like, read some of the stuff that's still happening. I don't say it to make fun of them. It was mind-blowing to me when I read the strictness of this. So the leaders crack down on Jesus and say, how can you do this? How can you harvest on the Sabbath? You clearly aren't from God. You're not a godly man. What do you have to say for yourself? And Jesus' answer, to me, is very interesting. He likens himself back to King David. Now, King David was their hero. I mean, this is who they loved and worshipped as the king of Israel for all time. And, and he makes himself kind of in line with, Jesus, with, with, with King David. And so he's, he's hearkening back to a story from 1 Samuel 21, which you can read at another time if you want. But in that story, David has been told that he's going to be king. Saul was still king, and he starts chasing David because it's a threat to his throne. And he's trying to pursue David and to kill David. So eventually David's on the run and he comes to where the tabernacle is and he finds the high priest there and he says, look, would you give us some of the bread that I know you've got set aside in there? Now this bread was consecrated. It was holy. It was 12 loaves that were representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would bring them and they would put them before the altar as an offering to God, but also as asking God to care for the 12 tribes. And they'd be there for a week. And at the end of the week, I guess the priest would get this stale bread and it was theirs. Like they had sustenance as well from this bread, but it was set apart for God and for the priests. So David goes to the high priest and says, give me that bread. Me and my men are hungry. And the priest says, fine. And gives him the bread. He's breaking the law. But he's okay with it. Well, why is that? I would say that it's because he was able to look beyond the law and see that it was ceremonial and that there was something deeper behind the law. And he was able to use common sense and to say, look, providing bread for the king of Israel is okay. Like, use common sense. See beyond what's actually happening here. And he wasn't breaking a moral part of the law. He was breaking a ceremonial part that looked to something deeper than just the bread that was out on the altar. So Jesus is saying to the leaders of his day, hey, if David was allowed to break the covenant law because he was looking beyond the law to a bigger picture, and you're okay with that, why are you not able to look beyond it now and see the true intent of the Sabbath law. And then he drops the hammer and says, look, the Son of Man, the Messiah, meaning himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the boss, the ruler, the king of the Sabbath. Jesus wasn't doing away with the Sabbath, saying it's no longer longer important. He was helping them see beyond the legalism of the Sabbath laws that they had made. And he's not saying, listen, he's not saying that Sabbath, rest, or any of the other laws are no longer a thing. For too long, people have taken Jesus to say, look, he's 
He's not a legalist. We can do whatever we want now. No more laws. It doesn't matter. And, and I would tell you that, that he was actually saying, look, there's something beyond the law. I came to fulfill the law. I am the thing that you should be looking for and upholding. I am the Sabbath rest. He is the one to offer it. He is the one to offer the rest and the Sabbath to the people. He didn't come to do away with the law. He says he came to fulfill it. Jesus is the deeper meaning of the Sabbath, doing something that legalism never could do on its own. So now, in my opinion, we start to get a clearer picture of God, that he is a God of Sabbath, and he has done this for a reason, something deeper than just the legalism of of taking a day off. He's a God that offers rest to his children, who says, you're no longer slaves in Egypt. Stop working seven days a week and rest and enjoy new creation. Enjoy what I have made. Now, look, To me, this concept of Sabbath should feel amazing to us. Like, it should be a welcome gift in our lives. And I don't know if you remember this feeling when you were a kid, or if you are still a kid and you're in school, that feeling of um, going to bed on like a Tuesday night, knowing that snow was coming overnight, and, and looking forward to getting up in the morning and seeing enough snow, which in Nazareth is about this much to cancel school, and... And, and looking out there and thinking, okay, maybe we've got off today. Now, if I'm going to date myself here. If you were probably my age or older, you remember what you have to do. You had to run and turn on an AM radio and like get KYW out of Philadelphia or something, or maybe it was local up here to say, I'm going to listen for my school number. And you waited and you waited and you waited until you heard your number. And it was like, yes, we have off. We can watch Prices Right all day. We can like play Monopoly. You can play Fortnite, whatever it is. Like you can have time off. It's a gift. It was a gift that we just looked forward to and longed for. Well, this is, look, friends, this is what Sabbath should be to us. It should be something that we, the day before, we were like, yes, yes, tomorrow I get to rest. This is the God who we serve, who wants to give this to us. But instead, I find that we struggle to keep the Sabbath or to set it apart. Why? Why is that? Well, I would argue that there's two reasons, and they both stem from our identity. First is this. We struggle to enter Sabbath and set aside a day because we rank ourselves or we feel ranked by our production, by what we're able to get done, by what we're able to make happen in the world. The idea of stopping production seems ludicrous to us. Now, for you, producing could look like your actual job, your actual vocation, you don't know how to stop working, and, and now with technology, because you can work anywhere, you should work everywhere. You work on vacation, you work at your kids' games, you work when you're trying to go to the bathroom. Like, like this is like, right? I mean, this is, we are inundated by this need to produce and this constant drive to produce. Maybe for you, production is not about your vocation, but it's about making people happy. It's about keeping people satisfied with you. And you, you, you try to keep your spouse happy, your kids, your mom, your in-laws, like whatever it is, you're trying to keep them happy. Your church sometimes, your pastor, you have this mindset that we need to keep them happy. So you push and you push and you push to make people happy all day and constantly producing so that your identity is secure in their eyes, so that you're doing what's right in their eyes. So it's vocations, social obligations, sports and school commitments, church activities, civic responsibilities, and so on. Boy Scouts, it just goes on the list 
is endless of the ways we are constantly burdened to be involved, to be producing, to be securing our identity by what we're able to make happen. And I would say we're not slaves in Egypt anymore, but we are slaves to production. We are slaves to trying to secure our identity through what we can produce and make happen in the world. And it keeps us from taking a rest of Sabbath. And I would say the second reason that we fail to enter Sabbath rest is because we're doing it wrong. Okay, we're just, we're just going about it all wrong. We're entering it like legalistic leaders were. Those ones that were mad at Jesus for picking some grain and eating it. We're entering it legalistically. And now maybe you're like me, you grew up in a church where it was like, you are going to take a day off. You must, you must take a day off. Sabbath is a day for church, for no TV, for wearing uncomfortable clothing, for going grandma's house to eat dry roast beef, and then we will come home and we will be bored again. Like, this is what Sabbath is about. You set a day apart. Isn't it great? No, this is not what God had in mind when he called the children of Israel out and said, you're no longer slaves. Be my children. Enjoy creation and what I have made. And so we become slaves to this this idea of doing Sabbath so that God is pleased with us. So that we're doing the right thing and we're obeying the law and God is happy with our production of religion. And we end up slaves to legalism. Friends, this is not the picture of God we see in Jesus. We see in Jesus that we can enter Sabbath as children of God, no longer slaves to production to secure our identity or legalism to make God happy. It's the gospel. This is what I've been talking about. It's a third way that's not about this or this. It's the gospel. When we believe the gospel, that we are loved by God, that we are freed from legalism, that that our identity is in God's family, we no longer need to produce so hard to, to get our identity secure over here. And we no longer need to re, you know, rely on legalism to make God happy with us because we believe that he already loves us no matter what we do. We don't have to earn it. I've heard Pastor Adam speak on this before, who was here last week, and, and he talks about how when we enter Sabbath, we enter it satisfied, not striving. You hear me? We enter it satisfied with the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. In his death and resurrection, we enter it satisfied. We don't enter it trying to achieve God's love. We don't enter it striving to achieve God's love. Satisfied instead of striving. In Psalm 46 that I read earlier, the author says what? Be still and know that I am God. The word be still there is rafad actually means to let go. To, to, to actually like a rope that goes slack. To stop, to cease. I feel like, do you want to know more of God? Do you, do, you want, do you want to understand him more? Do you want to be transformed? Be quiet and go slack. Take time to rest in who God is. Allow God to minister to your spirit. I read an article from Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite pastors and authors this week. He said, do you want to understand Sabbath? Forgive me, kids. Shut up and show up. He says, you want to understand Sabbath? Just shut up. And show up and allow God to minister to you in your stillness and in your quietness. This week, I took some time on Wednesday to just be quiet and stop trying to produce for Hope Alliance Nazareth and, and stop trying to make God pleased with me with all, I'm, all these good things I'm doing. Just to sit and just be quiet. And, and I can tell you that I heard from the Lord. And I don't mean in some like 
big bombastic booming voice like, Jim, go do this. Like, it wasn't like that. He actually said, Jim, you're kind of empty right now. I was like, whoa. And like, I can tell you, it wasn't from me. Like, and if you've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. When the Lord speaks to you like that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I've not been taking my own Sabbath. I've not been taking time to be rejuvenated in the Lord. I've not been praying earnestly like I feel like I need. Again, not some booming voice, but just the voice of God quietly in my conscience saying, yeah, you know what? Maybe you're missing something right here. And I didn't feel ashamed of this. It just felt like, yeah, okay. Thanks, Lord. I will lean into this. I will pursue you in this area. So can you imagine what an entire day set aside for the Lord would feel like? Do you you want more of God in your life? I'm asking this for a reason. Do you want more transformation? Do you want more peace? Do you want more love? Friends, look into Sabbath and find the fullness of life that Jesus offers. Look, we enter Sabbath not just as a day of the week. Okay, it's not just a day of the week. It's a mindset. All right. It is. It's 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 an internal reality. It's a lifestyle that we are satisfied with the finished work of Jesus who now sits on the throne. It's finished. He said the work is done on your behalf. And in the same way that God rested after new creation in the Genesis account, we now rest in the new creation that comes about because of Jesus coming out of the tomb resurrected. A new creation has begun, and we can rest in that because it's finished. I no longer need to prove myself to God or to man. I can let go. We can go slack. We can let the rope drop and rest and let God be God. And friends, in that is freedom. That's a lifestyle, not just a day of the week. So I want to give you, I'm going to shift here into some very pragmatic type things, okay? What does it look like to Sabbath? How do we open the wallet and find the gift that's inside this ancient practice rather than tossing it aside? Well, at Hope Alliance, uh, Bethlehem and here in Nazareth, we're going to say the same thing, that, that Sabbath is vigorously entered, okay, vigorously entered personal time, of contemplation, of restoration, and recreation. All right? Vigorously entered, personal time, of contemplation, restoration, and recreation. All right? I'm going to talk through these briefly um, and, and then wrap up. Vigorously entered. Can I just say this? Sabbath will not happen in your life on its own. It just won't. Like, Amer- like, just think about Americans in general. Like, we don't stick to our diet plans. We don't stick to our exercise plans. Barely any of us have financial plans. Like, we certainly aren't going to stick to a, a spiritual plan unless we vigorously enter into it and say, I'm committing to this. Now, I'm not preaching legalism. I'm not saying you have to do this. If you don't want to, you're still loved by God. But I can tell you that if you choose to enter into this, you will experience God's love more. So as your pastor and as your friend, I'm telling you, this is good for you. I also feel like you need to understand that it's, it's a bit methodical. Okay, this is sort of like downshifting a car. If you're going 70 miles an hour on the highway, you can't go from fifth to first quickly. It doesn't work. Like, have you ever downshifted accidentally in a stick shift car? Like, it doesn't go well. You'll blow the transmission out of the car. Like, it's the same thing with our lives. We have to methodically downshift into Sabbath. So the Jews, in my opinion, do have it right that they take the day before, the day of preparation, to get ready for Sabbath, to know that, yeah, you know what? I don't want to do that tomorrow. 
I'm going to mow the lawn earlier in the week so that Sunday or Saturday I can rest. I'm going to have boundaries so that I don't have to go to every single sports opportunity that comes along for my kids. I'm going to clean the house on Saturday so that Sunday I can, I can breathe and I can rest. It's vigorously entered into. Now look, I understand that there are those of us in this room who have to work a lot to make ends meet, okay? So I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, we'll just ignore the bills. and you know, like, No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I would ask you to do is, is trust God. Trust God to provide for you and your needs, and don't continually run to Egypt hoping to provide for your needs there. Trust that you can Sabbath, and God will help pay the bills. He will, he will help make ends meet. I am a living example of this. I've seen it in my life when we were making like 30 grand a year and that was it and that we had a mortgage and kids and like God provides when we will take time to rest in him to be the provider. Listen, so vigorously entered personal time. Sabbath is not to be legalistic and it's not to be prescribed uh, and designed by others for you, okay? It has to fit your rhythm of life. We all have different schedules, different kids' requirements, different family issues. Like, listen, it's about your life. Paul was really clear in Galatians, in Romans, and Colossians 2 to say, listen, stop letting other people dictate how you spend your holidays, how you spend your days of rest, how you, how you do your religious acts before God. Like, he says it's about knowing what ceasing and going slack looks like for you. What does it look like in your life? It might mean that it's a Wednesday. I don't know. It doesn't have to be like Sunday. This is the only day that you can... No. This is personal to you and your rhythm of life and in your family. So it's about, yeah, just resting in what God wants to do personally in you. It's not to say there isn't wisdom in asking other people, what do you do? Share with me. Coach me in this. But it's about your personal rhythm. It's about your spiritual edification. And now listen, three things. Time of contemplation, restoration, and recreation. Contemplation. Here's what I mean. This isn't just a day off. It's not just a day off so that like you can go golfing or play video games. We'll talk about that under the recreation part, okay? It's still there. But it has to be a day that we set aside to focus on the gospel, to remind ourselves of God's love, to remind ourselves of what he has done on our behalf so that we can Sabbath, to remind ourselves to contemplate Who is Jesus and what has he done in my life and why is it that I can take a day off? Why is it that I don't need to perform anymore legalistically? To see, it it has to be a day of contemplation because let's be honest, what happens on your days off? We overeat, we stress, we think about the work that we have to go back to, we try to get the chores done around the house and then it's Monday morning. Great. Like, take time to contemplate. Take time to do the work earlier in the week so that a day of the week you can Sabbath, you can rest and contemplate the goodness of God on your behalf. Restoration. This is where it is similar, in my opinion, to a day off as we have traditionally thought of it. It's about restoring something to its fullness. In Leviticus 25, God actually tells the Israelites to let their land lie fallow, to take a year off to allow the nutrients to rebuild into the soil so that they could plant again and harvest good crops. So it's the same thing with our souls. We need to take time to just breathe to just rest and allow our strength to rebuild, both spiritually and physically. Allow the nutrients of our lives to be enriched so that when we do work, when we do plant, that things will grow out of it. It's a place of replenishment. So how are you replenished? How are you restored? 
Maybe, maybe it's sleeping in. Isn't that a glorious thing to wake up to the sun instead of an alarm clock? Like that's, that's a fantastic feeling of restoration. Maybe it's going hiking. Maybe it's reading a good novel. Maybe it's going to an art museum. Maybe it's listening to music you love. Maybe it's being with a person or a group of people that you love and are life-giving to you. It's not working so that your body and your mind and your heart are then replenished because you've allowed for some downtime. Contemplation, restoration, and recreation. Recreation. Okay, that's that word. Recreation, recreation. Similar to restoration, these are acts of, of creativity other than your actual vocation. Okay, because these physical things that we do, like baking, gardening, painting, joining God in the act of creating, of being creative and enjoying it. Listen, I would love if everyone was able to use their gifting and their skills and the things that they loved to do their jobs, but it's just not reality, right? We don't all get to just do what we love and are good at. So maybe you take a day off during the week to, to do something that you love. You take time to invest in something that you're good in, to simply recreate, to recreate in God's creation. My wife, uh, in particular, loves gardening, and she works for, for a floral shop. She'll go in early just so she can be there by herself, just to create arrangements and have a, a short time of Sabbath, just to enjoy what she does and be good at it. She gardens around and listens to music and, and loves it around the house. It's beautiful. I work with my hands on my day off. I need to do something creative that's not so ethereal as this, to move something from point A to point B and be like, yeah. I created something like that's great. And there is joy in that for me to be able to turn off my brain, to be restored, to recreate with what God is doing uh, in creating the world around me. So listen, what you'll find is that when you plan for Sabbath and you enter into it in your own personal rhythm and pursue contemplation and restoration and recreation on your Sabbath, you'll find the internal state of your being, this resting of God will start to well up inside of you. And you start to live into a lifestyle of this rather than just a day of the week, but it becomes part of who you are from the inside out. You find yourself in meetings thinking, God's in control. I was able to take Saturday off and the universe kept going. We will be okay here on Wednesday because God's God and I'm not. This this state of being starts to come about inside of us. Can you imagine what it would look like in our world? Can I just say something, church? I think evangelism has gone too long in the direction of we need to tell people of their sins. Okay, we need to move to a place of being a people who say, we have a God who offers you rest. Would you come and join our family? Would you come and join this kingdom and just rest and know that you don't need to keep producing? Like that to me is a beautiful form of evangelism for the church in the 21st century in America. But can you imagine what it would be like at your work if you said, it's okay. It's okay if you were the level-headed one because you had a sense of inner Sabbath and trusted in God? Can you imagine the impact it would make on your kids if they saw you filled with joy and peace on Wednesday because you took a day of Sabbath on Saturday or Sunday? This is counter-cultural living, church, but it's beautiful, and we get to be in this because of our God. I want to close by saying this. This might mean making radical counter-cultural decisions in your life. You have to think about this. What obstacles are in your head right now to taking Sabbath? Think about it. What's keeping you from taking time and resting for 24 hours? 
There might be radical decisions that need to be made around those things. Now, please hear me. I'm your friend. I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm not about to tell you, you need to do X, Y, and Z so you can take Sabbath. This is your personal journey. But it could mean saying, you know what, I'm not going to take that promotion because I'm going to end up having to work 80 hours a week. I'm going to trust God. I don't need to go to Egypt for this. It might mean not playing every travel sports team and being okay with rec league and just believing that, like, it's going to be okay. Again, I'm not trying to pass judgment on anyone. I'm trying to get us to think a little bit differently because we have a culture that says, come to us for identity. Come to us for identity. Work yourselves to the bone for identity. And God says, I've already given it to you. I've already called you my child. Don't be a slave anymore to these things. Friends, it's a good life of Sabbath when it comes from the inside out. We practice it on a day, but it becomes a lifestyle. This is the picture of God we see in Jesus throughout all of the Gospels and all of the New Testament. A God who offers us rest and says, you don't need to be slaves anymore. You are called my children. Take a day and contemplate me and to be restored and to recreate with me and enjoy new creation. Would you pray with me?